Welcome to another recording of the Game of Crowdfunding Interview Edition. Uh, we are recording August 28th, 2013. Like I said, this will be an interview. Uh, don't worry, Sarah and I are still doing draft picks. Gen Con kind of got in the way of uh, our schedules, but her and I will be back talking about draft picks. But this week, uh, we've got another interview for you, and this is somebody that is getting ready to launch on Kickstarter. Uh, but before uh, I have them introduce themselves, I just want to have a little conversation up front, I guess. Anybody that listens to everything we do, not just the game of crowdfunding, knows that All Us Geeks, the podcast proper, as I've been calling it, is about all things geek. I mean, we talk about, we have a board game uh, central focus, of course, and we review a board game every show, but we talk about movies, books, games, and video games that we like to play. So we cover our entire spectrum of geekdom and we bring in people that can explain things that we maybe can't cover. So like Don, we just recently had on for his anime segment. And you know, we have Sarah and her husband on for the Lego segment because these are things we can't speak to as much. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, here's why. Because up until this point, I've talked to individuals that have been doing tabletop gaming on Kickstarter and I am not going to get get away from that. I have several more uh, in the works for you, and that is still going to be a primary focus. Uh, but I do think, and I do back other projects that have a geek slant uh, that I th- I find interesting. And I've got a I I got had an opportunity, I guess you can say, fall in my lap to talk to the individual that we're about to talk to. So I'm going to shut up for a second and say, who is on Skype with me today? I am Aaron Cagle, founder and CEO of Loreful, an independent video game studio in Cincinnati, Ohio. And there it is. There's there's the piece I was trying to kind of warn you about. Video game studio. So Aaron is getting ready to launch a Kickstarter for a video game project. And I wanted to have a conversation with him about that because there are a lot of things. One, Kickstarter is Kickstarter. So those of you who like to listen and are getting Kickstarter lessons out of some of this, I think that crosses almost any kind of project boundary. Two, Aaron is going to have a unique perspective on some things that I want to ask him about when we get into the project part of this. But before we get there, Aaron... You know what? I'm going to hit you up. I'm still going to hit you up with some of the questions that we tend to ask uh, right up front. So the first one would be, uh, what makes you a geek, sir? Where do I begin? It, I guess I would start with my lightsaber collection. Um, <laughs> nice. We'd have to start there for sure. <laughs> All right. I'm going to have to cut that part out because my fiance may leave me now. Okay. <laughs> She's a big Star Wars fan. <laughs> All right, so you're big into uh, Star Wars, and you and you have a collection of lightsabers, huh? Yeah, I, you know, I'm one of those rare geeks that is passionate about both Star Trek and Star Wars. Oh, nice. I have a Star Trek sticker and a Jedi Academy sticker on the back of my car, so I usually get some strange looks. <laughs> start, start fights in the streets. Exactly. <laughs> Everybody picks a side of your car to hang out on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what I usually follow that up a little bit with is, and I believe we already know your full-time job, but let's, let's approach it this way. Cause I, the video game studio is now your full-time job, correct? Yes, it is. Uh, all right. So let's approach it the other way then. What did you used to do full-time before you decided, Hey, I need to have an independent video game studio. 
Well, I was a creative director in the marketing arena uh, for 15 years. So uh, jumping into the video game side, then, do you have an IT background? I don't. Um, I have a, a design, digital design background. So I, you know, I've made a lot of games, uh, mostly branded games for uh, big clients like Hasbro, Chiquita, even Red Robin. So I've done a lot of sort of sweepstakes style games over the course of the last 10 to 15 years. Okay. Let's see if you have an answer for this one. (laughs) This is one we've kind of been asking recently, but we like to try to point out that, you know, uh, you can be passionate about just about anything and you can be a geek basically just about anything. So do you have a passion that you would consider, if you really think about it, a, a geek status level passion that maybe other people wouldn't consider geek related? Absolutely. My non geek huge passion is UI design. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's a weird one, but I really obsess over it. So how how do you put that passion into, I mean, I know how that fits into your current job. Yeah. <laughs> but how do you take that passion, say, as a, a, on the hobby side, I guess, or outside of your current job? I don't really. You know, before, obviously, it's always been a part of my job. But I guess I used to take it into, you know, if I was part of a guild or something in an MMO, I always designed the websites. Uh, because I always hated the usability of, of standard sort of MMO, you know, fan sites. So I always focused on, you know, always doing the creative part of those, those projects. Cool. So, you know what? Let's, let's, uh, let's take a little step back here then. So you've been in, in marketing for a long, long time. What, what made you decide to make the jump? Well, I love RPGs. I'm obsessed with RPGs. Um, and especially cinematic RPGs, you know, kind of like your dragon ages of the world. And I really felt like the world, you know, really needs more RPGs like that. And there aren't a lot of people doing sort of the story-driven cinematic stuff. And, you know, I hit 40, and I don't know if it was a midlife crisis, but I decided, you know, I've had a, I've had a great career as a, as a creative director, and I want to go all in on this because I know I can run this company. Okay. So a lot of the people that we end up kind of talking to, like I said, we, we have a tabletop heavy focus. A lot of times it's, yeah, I still have my nine to five and I'm doing this in my off time, but this is, I I want to eventually transition to this. So, I mean, really, can you point to a point in time where it just clicked where you were like, okay, I'm going all in. I I have to do this. Yes. Well, I mean, (laughs) In order to make a jump like that, in order to put, you know, your whole life savings on the line, you have to be sure that you have a business model that's worth that's worth going after and a product that's worth going after. So I did a lot of research and I thought about it I, probably for a year before I made the jump. And I actually worked on my financials, worked on my business plan, did all of this while I was working my regular nine to five job. And even made the early connections into this game um, with the IP that we're going into all while I was working. And then when I knew that I had something and I knew I needed to devote 100% of my time to it, I made the jump, but not without tons of research. So it wasn't just a, this is my passion, screw it all. I mean, you 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 took <laughs> your time, which is a good thing because you started a business and gave up a lot of other things. Lorful, where did the name come from? Where, why did you decide to go with Lorful? 
I love story-driven games, and I wanted to make sure that that was part of our name. And lore in any game, whether it's tabletop or a video game, I always love backstory. I always love lore. And I wanted to, you know, very forthrightly tell the world that we're creating games that are full of lore. So you've, you've basically said you don't have a large IT background, but you have helped design games and, and, and you did mention the IP connections and we'll get to that when we start really getting into the project. Uh, but I guess I, I where I want to go right now maybe then is Loreful is up and running. Obviously, you've got a team with you, so let's uh, let's give a little bit of credit to your team here. Uh, who do you got working with you? Absolutely. We have probably our biggest guns. We have Ben Steele, who is our lead game designer. He was an event designer on Guild Wars 2, and he's also worked on Assassin's Creed Bloodlines, X-Men Origins Wolverine for PSP, and uh, Spider-Man Web of Shadows, to name a few. A large majority of our team are... Full Sail graduates. I don't know if you know about Full Sail University, but they're actually graduates of a video game program. They have spent their whole college career studying video games and studying how to produce video games. And they are an amazing crew. Twelve of our employees are from Full Sail. So how how big is the team total then right now? Fifteen. Oh, nice. Let's go ahead and give the the name of it. It's uh, Ambravex. 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 Now this is going to be your your basically your flagship game, right? Yes. Okay. So you got all fifteen people basically focused right now on this flagship game, correct? Absolutely. All right. So I mean, how has that been for you? I mean, I, I know you have say the marketing background, and you've you've worked with some really big clients and stuff. So I know you've got a good background there. But moving into uh, the uh, you know air quotes, I'm the boss, <laughs> yeah. starting your own company and having to work with other people and rely on other people in delegation and stuff. How has that been? Uh, how's that transition, I guess, been for you? Or was it a transition? It really wasn't a bad transition or a difficult transition because as a creative director, you lead a team of developers and designers and artists. And the process, even though the object is different, the process of creating any sort of digital format especially if you're using an agile software process, it's all relatively similar. So that hasn't been difficult at all. The difficult part has been a large majority of our team, at least until recently, has been all over the country. So managing 15 people all over the country while I bring them here to Cincinnati has been pretty crazy. Now, is this uh, are, are they all uh, moving to? Uh, your area or is this yeah. just to bring oh okay so the team is coming together and they're everybody's this is what we're doing <laughs> absolutely yes excellent you know what here's a question for you of games that are already out obviously because obviously ambravex is is the game of choice but uh what is your favorite computer rpg sir my favorite computer rpg is probably dragon age origins nice so uh what what drew you to that one I love Dragon Age Origins be simply because it's so deep, and I, I love the origin story aspect of it. It's one of the few RPGs that I've actually played through every character class and every race in the game. Although I, I rarely ever play females, I've actually played a female in that game just to get the sort of different take on the storyline. That is a great game. I, I Now you see, now i got to go in the other room and break it out. 
Oh no, <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> so yeah, you've got this. You got this great team together. Um, let's let's go ahead and start talking about the project a little bit. Um, okay. So Ambrav X, you're looking to launch September 3rd, correct? Correct. So just around the corner here. Uh, so again, by the time everybody hears this, be on the lookout for it because it's going to be maybe a day or two uh, before before it actually launches that you'll be able to hear this. You mentioned the IP. Let's discuss that for a minute because this is, I mean, this is kind of a, a licensed world in a way, right? It is. We do have a licensing agreement for it. It's a very little known a science fiction property created by Jacqueline Lichtenberg and Jean Laura. It's called Sime Gen, S-I-M-E tilde G-E-N. And they created it back in the late 60s. Jean Laura came from a Star Trek background. She wrote uh, four very successful Star Trek novels. And Jacqueline, in her own right, is really known in the Star Trek community because she wrote the first book on Star Trek fans back in the late 60s called Star Trek Lives, and then wrote this underground sort of fan fiction series called Kraith, which is all about uh, Vulcans, which is very popular with the uh, Vulcan geeks of Star Trek. So uh, tell, I mean, tell us a little bit about the the world then. I mean, this. so, all right, let, let's start with, I mean, you're, you're doing, you, you just mentioned that one of your favorites is a, a fantasy computer RPG, but you're going in on the sci-fi RPG aspect. What drew you to the sci-fi genre and then, of course, acquiring this IP? Well, the the great thing about Sime Gen is that I would actually compare it more to science fantasy than science fiction. Okay. It has magic in the world as well as, you know, hardcore science fiction aspects to it. But the interesting thing about their 12 novels that they wrote, it's about a future of humanity in which there's this genetic crisis and humanity gets split into two species, two subspecies, the Syme who have these tentacles growing out of their wrists and the gens. The gens produce sort of like this life energy that's sort of like, I would equate it to the force in, in Star Wars, but it's even more so than that because Symes require that life force to live. So these tentacles were born into the syme in order to suck the life energy out of the gens. So you can imagine that their novels really cover all the years in which these two species are trying to come to terms with each other because you have these symes who are sucking the life out of these gens and killing them. And then you have the gens protecting themselves and raiding and killing Symes. So a lot of their books really focus on that dynamic between the two species and how they ultimately overcome this barbaric nature to then rise into modern times. And then for the game aspect of it, are you focusing on for the player aspect one or the other, or can you play either? You can play either. But to really keep within the lore of the books, the books always focus on the relationship between a sime and a gen. So if you choose a sime in our game, you're going to have a companion who's a gen. So what I was reading a little bit of was the fact that the simes rely on the gens for the life force, but it's something along the lines of if the gens freak out or uh, try to defend themselves or something, that it can potentially kill them. 
Yes. Is that correct? So is that, that is kind of represented in the game as well then? It is represented in the game. I mean, really every aspect of Simgen is represented in the game. They've overcome a lot of that fear, but it still exists even in the space age. Where from from the books to the game, where are you taking place then? We're taking place really a thousand years after the books. They've actually given us a 150 year period on their calendar that we can operate within, which is nice. And it's right at the beginning of the space age. Okay. Oh, that, so that's cool. And so did they give you, did you also get like some uh, notes or whatever from them? Like the, here's what we were thinking or here's, here's a, a timeline we kind of had. Do you, did, were you able to get that kind of information for the game? Yeah, actually I spent uh, six months just working with Jacqueline and Jean and really a sharing with them my vision for what I wanted to do with Sime Gen and ultimately having them approve it. You know, th- this is kind of cool to me because uh, usually when you start talking about uh, an indie startup video game studio, you're, you're not really necessarily talking about IP and, and all that stuff. So, I mean, you, you've really got some interesting things already under your belt coming into this for this being your flagship game. Absolutely. That's awesome. It's a lot to take on. It really is. But, you know, we're prepared. We're ready for it. Here's one thing I want to kind of discuss with you. And this is one of the reasons I I wanted to talk to you is, you know, again, we're used to talking to tabletop people who are maybe looking for ten, fifteen, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 tops usually. And if you're reaching that far on a tabletop game, a lot of the tabletop gamers are going to kind of look at you funny and say, what? Why is it costing you that much? Even though in a lot of times that's reality. That, that's the reality of what it's going to cost these people. But on the video game side, I mean, you're looking for 500000 Yes. And in all honesty, I look at that number and I go, that's kind of cheap. <laughs> it is cheap. You know, we really need a lot more. But we feel like, you know, one of the things about this game that we're doing differently is that we're releasing it episodically. Yes. That's one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, too. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that allows us to really develop a lot differently than a lot of other studios. And it actually allows us to develop with a smaller team, even though we plan to hire more people in the coming year. But we also have private investment to 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 fill that out a little bit as well. Well, one of the things that I like is you're basically saying up front that this is going to be episodic. Uh, here's kind of what our plan is. And I, the reason I like that is because we've seen a lot of video games recently that have done really, really well on Kickstarter, uh, but basically come out and say, we can't give you what we originally promised you. We went way too big. So we got to scale back. Absolutely. And I think maybe that's something that I've really brought from working in the, the B2B world, I guess, and even the consumer packaging good space. I mean, in marketing, you have clients, big clients with a lot of money on the line, and you have deadlines that you absolutely have to keep. And if you screw up your deadlines, you're you're screwing your company. <laughs> and you could lose potentially millions of dollars. So I'm insanely crazy about deadlines. And, you know, this team, when I started pulling the team together, we really thought about what is our process going to be? Because this game is so ambitious. We need to make sure that we meet our deadlines and we can deliver to the people investing in it. And so that's why we ultimately went with an agile process that really drives everything we do. So we're 
constantly moving through builds of the game and tweaking bugs as we go and building as we go. And I think that's why we've been able in a short time really to build this prototype. And we've we've met pretty much every deadline, you know, sometimes by the skin of our teeth, but we've made the deadlines. <laughs> well, you know, you mentioned process and I love talking process with tabletop game designers. So let's talk process for what you got to do. So let's see, where do we want to take this? Let, let's go with, you've got the concept, you've got the IP, you've pulled together the team that you want to work on this at a high level view, obviously, because th- there's a lot of detail that goes into this. How do you get to the point where you get the demo? I mean, what is the process to get there? Well, it's, I mean, it's a multi-tiered process. You know, it starts with uh, sort of laying down the foundation, doing lots of concept art, which we've already done, and then handing that off to your team and building out every element. It's, there's so many pieces to the puzzle of making a video game from creating the models to the environment and then, you know, hooking that up with code that it takes a long time to do all that. But we've already, on our own, on a shoestring, have laid the foundation for this. You know, if you look at some of our videos that are coming out, our work looks fairly polished for a prototype. I mean, usually when you're looking at a pre-alpha prototype, there's not a lot there. <laughs> yeah, from what I've seen so far, it it looks really good. I mean, I'm not uh I'm not uh spoiling anything or taking anything away from cuz you you mentioned it in your in your main Kickstarter video, but First look at it, if you didn't know necessarily what you were looking at, like when they're running through the ships and stuff, you would think, oh, okay, I'm playing Mass Effect. Yeah. I mean, it it looks that good. I mean, it's it's not that you're trying to copy Mass Effect or anything. It's just it looks good enough to be I would be sitting down with my Xbox playing Mass Effect right now. Well, thank you. I mean, uh, we've actually gotten that response a lot. And, you know, a lot of us on the team feel like we're really far away from where we want to be <laughs> because we really want to go all out and do something incredible and something visually stimulating. And, you know, we're we're kind of pushing the boundaries of Unity in some ways, which is the engine that we're developing in. So I appreciate that comment. I think, you know, part of the other part of that, all of this is the voiceover, which since everything is fully voiced, that's another thing that People think cost a crazy amount of money, and it does because it costs studio time and actors time. But, you know, we used, I used a lot of my connections and, and other people on our team. We used our connections to do the voiceover for our prototype. And we recorded over 40 pages of a script and only spending about two or three hundred dollars on, oh, that's not bad. Yeah. You know, for actors and studio time and our, Our sound designer has his own studio, so we used his studio for that. So, I mean, uh, that you kind of mentioned it a couple different times, but I just want to point, I mean, you're getting ready to launch September 3rd, but you already have, you're getting ready to take it to a con, right? I mean, you've got like an hour of gameplay demo ready to show off, right? Something like that. Yeah, we do, um, we do have an hour. Our demo is an hour long. We decided to actually cut some pieces out of it so it's the demo that we're showing at the con is significantly smaller than that okay but it runs through every aspect of gameplay so uh it runs through like choosing dialogue and the the paradigm system that we have for choosing dialogue um it runs through combat and then it, it 
ultimately runs through a pretty big boss fight at the end. So, yeah, we're showing it at the Cincinnati Comic-Con the first weekend of September. And then the next weekend, we're going to be at the Cincinnati Comic Expo, which I know is going to confuse a lot of people why (laughs) Cincinnati has two comic book shows. (laughs) So, yeah, if you're in that area, definitely go check it out. You can see this firsthand because from what I've seen, uh, it looks beautiful. I I would love to have been able to sit in on the demo. Aaron was kind enough to share a preview of the Kickstarter uh, page with me since it's really quick, coming up really quick here. And usually when people have me give them feedback on their Kickstarter pages, the first thing I knock usually is the fact that the video is so long. But I got to tell you, Aaron, your video is longer than than any that I usually, for tabletop wise, that I would ever tell anybody to allow, but I wouldn't change a thing. Really? It was, it was very, it was, it was nice. Uh, it was informative. It was, you, you got to see, I'm assuming some of this was pulled from the demo. Yeah. All of it was. Yeah. And it was just beautiful. And it, it kept me, it kept me interested in what I was watching, which is usually what happens once you get after, once you get past the, even the a minute and a half to two minute mark. Uh, I'm usually on to the next thing because I look at so many Kickstarters on a daily basis now. But I sat through the entire thing and, and I was just like, okay, so what else do I get to watch? <laughs> so <laughs> oh, thank you. don't thank change you. it <laughs> and, awesome. and definitely go check it out when he uh, p- puts it up on the third here. So uh, let's get back to the money thing, if you don't mind. Not at all. All right. So you're looking for 500,000. What went behind the decision to say 500,000 is what we need to be able to give uh, our backers this quality episodic game? Well, uh, we looked at, I mean, really it comes down to spreadsheets and, and looking at where we are with, with salaries on, you know, on a larger scale and how we can bring more people in. Cause that's really going to be the big thing. And then what we can do with that money with as far as equipment that we need to really flesh out this game, because we, you know, there's some parts of unity that, that we really want to spend time on. You know, Uni doesn't have the best particle system built in. It's one of the key complaints that people have about it. And there's some great people doing particle work out there with Unity. And we want to be able to work with them and afford their licensing and and sort of get that stuff. So that's what we really looked at. I mean, just like we would a business plan, you know, we laid out, this is the amount of time it takes to produce episode one. And these are all the costs you know, with voiceover and whatnot. And as I said, with the software that we need to license. And uh, that's how we came up with 500,000. You're on a geek podcast, so you don't have to be ashamed about saying spreadsheets. Uh, we're all there right there with you. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the other thing that I, th- I found kind of interesting, uh, looking over your Kickstarter page, especially for, again, going back to the indie flagship uh, video game studio, uh, you guys are, are looking at, coming out of the gate on pretty much all platforms, including consoles, which is kind of, that was the part that kind of caught me. Usually you see the, we're going to do a PC version. We're going to try to do a Linux version uh, thing, but you guys are like, we're doing it all kind of thing. So uh, how did you come to that decision? And uh, was that an easy thing for you guys to actually put in place for this game? 
Well, it wasn't an easy decision, and we debated it vigorously. <laughs> and it w- will definitely be a staggered release. I mean, there's no way around that. Um, right. We're focusing on Windows, OS X, and Linux right out of the gate. And really, the rest is about process. So we figured that if we could produce a PC game, we know we can produce it for Xbox and PS4. What we have to change is usability, mostly. I mean, there's a little bit of work that goes into, you know, creating controllers and whatnot. So we knew that we could make that jump. And we've already actually designed out wireframes for the usability for PS4 and Xbox. So that'll be the next step. And then from there, it's a lot easier to go from a usability perspective, at least. It's easier to go from a console to something that's touch. And we believe that if we... You know, we're going with sort of this stylized realism sort of look. You know, it's not completely realistic. So we believe that we we have the polygon count that we need to move to a more uh, sort of tablet-based environment. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a challenge, and we know we're up against, you know, a huge, huge promise there. But we saw what the Walking Dead game, which was... Uh, also an episodic game we saw what they did and how they came across on multiple platforms and we believe we can do that as well just a nicer interface hopefully yes yeah I, 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 story story is awesome yeah the game the game interface on the xbox is is not my my favorite i i put up with it for the story and my fiance absolutely loves that game so but yeah <laughs> But, I, you know, I didn't play it on a console. I played it on um, my Mac, and then I played it on my iPad. Yeah, we played it on the Xbox. And, uh, again, I, I, the story and, and the uh, dialogue or choice options, you know, going yeah. through the game was awesome. Just absolutely beautiful. I loved it. Sometimes I like to take my time to make a decision, but I actually like the idea that, you know what, we're giving you a countdown. You need to, you need to figure out what you're doing. Uh, I love that whole thing and how it carried over from episode to episode. But if it wouldn't have been all that, if it would have just been your average game, I probably would have chucked it because of the interface. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I keep kind of coming, jumping in and out of it, but I've just, again, I, we do tabletop gamers so much and, and, you know, 20, 30, 40,000 is you're reaching for the stars. So. How nervous are you having to throw up a 500,000 or is that an equivalent to a board game trying to put up 10, 15,000? I believe it's the equivalent of that. The only, the thing that makes me nervous is that, you know, by all accounts, we're a new studio. Right. Um, and I think that's a pretty huge hill we have to get over, you know, because as a studio, we're unproven, even though we may have the talent that is proven. So that's why we went so far with, with our prototype, we wanted to prove to people, um, at least in the video itself, that we can do this. And that's why we're, we're showing it to the public and having the public play it at the Cincinnati Comic Con and the Expo. Okay. Now for a tabletop, uh, designer, especially a new one, they have things like here, I'm giving you the rule book here. I'm giving you a print and play. Do you have anything like that that you, you would be able to do? Cause like you said, I mean, somebody coming along, finding your project, not knowing who Lorful is because it's a newer company, they may waffle on, is this, I mean, it looks cool, but are they just showing me, you know, 
the cool pieces in the video and it's not really going to be this polished. You know, you, you, you're going to have those doubtful questions. Are you guys going to have like maybe an actual smaller playable prototype or something that people can, can use or that's something we've talked about over and over. And, um, we kind of wanted to see how, you know, works out in the beginning. If people really feel like they want something to play before they donate, we're definitely open to that. We really are. And we, we were kind of going to see how the first week plays out and how we do at the con. And if people are really enjoying it at the con, then, then I believe in this product and, you know, this game. And I feel like, you know, it stands on its own and I would love to release it for people to play. You know what? You actually almost touched on uh, another question I had for you. And one of the reasons I really wanted to talk to you about this project. Again, I, I, I apologize that I keep going back and forth, but like I said, usually I'm talking to tabletop <laughs> no people. So for tabletop, uh, game designers, I don't, some of them have an IT background, so they're aware of what it's called and, and maybe how to deal with it. But I think some of the other tabletop designers may not know what it's called, but they are kind of dealing with it as they go along. And this is a long way to get to. You said, well, if people are, or if people really want it, we can put it out there. And I guess, uh, where I'm trying to get to is, do you have a plan in place to make sure you guys don't fall victim to scope creep on this, uh, project? Oh, yes, absolutely. I mean, scope creep happens. Right. <laughs> it but, happens in every project. Right. But, but the, the one thing that, uh, I always, and some, I see it off and on in, in tabletop. And luckily, I think some people are finally kind of reining it in, but I can really, kind of see people maybe trying to do this in a in a video game and not necessarily you but maybe a newer inexperienced company might go yeah 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 but it's like these people are giving me money and and i've got 300 comments in our comment section and every one of them is asking for something new i better put it in oh yeah i mean there's you know saying saying to the community we want to listen to you and and we want your input doesn't necessarily mean that we will put every last suggestion into the game. I right. mean, it has to be reasonable and we have to have a large majority of people saying, you know, I really could care less about your modification crafting system. I would rather just have a normal system, you know, because those are major things that you have to redesign. Um, you have to go all the way back to design and then all the way to coding again. And, and, so that is scope creep, and we definitely want to keep that at a minimum. But we're going to try to get a lot of that input up front so that it doesn't become scope creep, and we can answer that stuff in the design phase as we go back to the beginning again uh, it, when we get funding. And you kind of hit on on a, an important piece, too, I think. Uh, again, for a tabletop designer to say, okay, I'll add that in, they might have to go back. They might inadvertently break something in their game or they might have to go back and do a little bit extra play testing. But on the video game side, I mean, you're going back to early design and because if something breaks in a video game, you're, you're breaking the game. I mean, you're, you're making it almost unplayable potentially if you're not <laughs> careful. Yeah, you could very well. Yes. Yeah. So you, you really got to be careful about this stuff. Uh, but I, I just found that kind of interesting because like I said, I, I know, you know, I, there, not everybody has this major sense of entitlement, but I mean, you know, I, Hey, I've, I've handed you some cash. So now I have a voice in uh, making this product and, and to a point they do. But like you said, it, it's one of those things where you're like, 
all right, we, we value your input, but at the end of the day, we need to collect that input and decide what to do with it. We can't just add everything in that everybody wants. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, a part of that too, is we try to kind of anticipate what people might want more of in our stretch goals. I don't know if that's something you wanted to talk about, but oh, definitely. And we tried to really say, okay, you know, what can we do in stretch goals that people might ask for that we can begin to plan for now? So that's really the hardest part about stretch goals, you know, right. especially when you're working on something that's that's huge already. Well, let's talk about your stretch goals a little bit because again, for the five hundred thousand, you're looking at an episodic release of of many episodes, and I believe you said you're looking at three to five hours of gameplay on each episode, if I remember right? Yes, correct. Okay. And then uh, on top of that, this is for a single-player computer RPG, correct? Yes. Right. Yes. So I did see if you basically uh, get a little past double that, you'll look at multiplayer co-op, if I remember right. Yeah, 2.5 million. Yeah, okay. we're looking at multiplayer, two-person co-op. That was a big debate on the team. Yeah. You know, some people were like, let's just go, you know, four person co-op, you know, mm -hmm. and that takes a lot of a lot of design to fit in, you know, four players. And so we've we've kind of felt like with two people that we could manage it at, at that price. What other stretch goals then are, are you looking at here to add into the game as as you hopefully collect lots and lots of funds? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we're really looking at, you know, companion storylines because that's a big part of Sime Gen is like you and your companion against the world. And so really digging deeper into your companion's past and how maybe the two of you have been together. And class specific storylines is something we've really been talking about because we have such very versatile classes. Um, that all have unique backgrounds that we want to tell. Uh, we actually have stories for those that we've already written, but we would like to really flush that out. Another thing is we want to offer multiple companions because we feel like if we're giving you a companion right out of the gate, there's not much you can do with it. I mean, you can't, we're giving you in order at $500,000, we're giving you a companion that you can choose whether they're male or female. Mm-hmm. But you can't do much customization after that. So we want to give you customization of companions, and then we want to give you the ability to pick up companions and choose them as the companion that you want to to run with. If I remember right, you're focusing in on, I mean, not focusing in on, but uh, you're going down the path of, uh, you know, decisions are meaningful and, and remembered and, and kind of like what we were talking about, the, the Telltale game if I remember correct. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So you're, you're looking at, uh, yeah, you know, you, there's consequences potentially behind decisions made and it's going to shape the rest of your gameplay. Yes. And you know, that the, all of that adds branches and dialogue. <laughs> yes. So it, it gets pretty crazy after a while. I have an IT background. So just, just thinking about it makes me cringe to a point because of, I know how much, work there is behind that yeah <laughs> to yeah. make that happen which is awesome I'm, I'm glad there are other people out there in the world to do that because i do boring it work not uh <laughs> not not make great games that uh people enjoy i i, I actually get people mad at me half the time so <laughs> kudos <laughs> <laughs> thank you 
kind of building on that a little bit too, though, uh, one of the things that I was going to say was looking at your pledge levels. You know, uh, some of the, you've got some pretty high priced pledge levels, but they make sense to me because you are looking at adding likenesses into the game at those pledge levels, which we, we do see on the tabletop side. But of course, on the tabletop side, it's just, Hey, we are going to draw your image on a card or something like that, where you've got to deal with adding in, you know, the likeness and getting the, the models and, and the motion and all that good stuff in place, uh, in order for that person to be in any way, shape or form part of the uh, atmosphere of the game. So uh, what went into, I mean, and it seemed like you had a fairly decent amount of levels where people could, could add themselves in. I mean, what went behind that kind of decision? Well, we felt like at those really higher levels, we wanted to give a lot of sort of digital prizes mm-hmm. um, because there isn't much in the physical world that we can offer someone at like $10,000. Yeah. So we have great modelers who do likenesses very well. and. We, we had to really look at the numbers and add them up. Like, can we do this many models? So we started at sort of this hall of heroes that we're going to have in the game in which uh, for a thousand dollars, you can get a hologram of yourself. And one of the reasons we chose a hologram actually is because it takes, uh, really we, all we have to do is sculpt the model. We don't have to texture the model. We don't have to rig the model, which is another big thing, so that it moves. So with a hologram, you're just sort of like a, you're a statue, you know? So we felt that we could do that number of holograms. And then as we get into the higher levels where we have just, you know, five to two slots per level, we felt like definitely we could add a person's likeness on an NPC and even a player character model. Just to let people know that those aren't the only options, obviously. <laughs> uh, where, where are we starting with to get, I believe it's a digital copy of the game? $25. Okay. And then a wide range in between there, because uh, I believe you got you got the digital copies and the physical copies and all that good stuff uh, yep. that, that we're used to seeing in the video games. Uh, I'm going to get personal here for a minute, Aaron. Uh, Skype is letting me know that it's your birthday, so happy birthday, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Skype, Skype just yelled at me for not saying that yet. <laughs> it, it's, it's a geeky birthday because it's uh, 42, um, <laughs> which is nice. Nice. For those hitchhiker fans. <laughs> yeah. What haven't we hit on that you want to make sure we hit on for this project? Um, I don't know. I, I feel like you've covered it so well. Um, and I'm just, you know, we're just honored to be represented on a tabletop show because we're all tabletop fans. <laughs> oh, nice. What's uh so what is your favorite tabletop game, my friend? I'm a standard three point five D and D guy. Okay. But our game designers are very passionate about um other tabletop stuff. But uh I've played D and D since I was a kid. Alright, so you're still playing D and D then? You're still yeah, uh absolutely. you lucky bastard. <laughs> <laughs> how are you running a video game company and can find time uh, to get everybody together? How how often do you get to play? I haven't played even a video game in probably two months and it's killing me. (laughs) So you don't necessarily have like a regular gaming session still? No, a couple of the people on our team do though. They play like every other week, but no, I don't, I don't, I don't have time. All right. You're only a semi lucky bastard. I, uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> well, I wanted to institute like you know a one day a month, and we're in in which the whole company has to play D and D. You know, we're we're trying to do that right now. I mean, we we have a guy that does a weekly game night at his house, um, and I get there when I can. And this is all to, I mean, board games, card games, the whole bit. Uh, but recently he's gotten an itch to do one of his RPGs and he's got a very interesting mix, you know, now that we're all adults. <laughs> so there's, uh, <laughs> professionals and retail workers and everything. So it took us, uh, I want to say two to three days to find one day within the next month that worked. And I was actually, holy crap, that's awesome. We actually found a day. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Have you tried anything like Pathfinder or anything like that? Or are you just uh, stuck stuck with D&D? You're a D&D diehard at this point. Yeah, I'm pretty much a D&D diehard. I mean, I love the worlds that people create that aren't necessarily published. I love just playing like, you know, any friend's world that they're building. Um, that is exciting to me. And I think as a design, as a visual designer, I love to see uh sort of what people bring to the table when they have their own worlds, their maps, etc. So that's kind of what I look for. I know it's like totally bare bones, but <laughs> it's great to me. All right, so there's no way I can uh let this conversation end before we talk about any type of lessons you might have learned or things you want to share with other people uh thinking about going down the Kickstarter route. So uh I, I know this is your first Kickstarter but uh, what did you put into leading up to your launch? I mean, what was important for you to know going in? I did a lot of research. I've been working on this for about six months. So I've done a ton of research. And uh, there's a Facebook group that I found that has been really helpful, just even just lurking on that group and reading about what people what people have done. Is that the uh, Kickstarter best lessons or something like that? Yeah. That one? Yep, okay. Yeah. I'm a member there too. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I learned a lot from there and I sort of took my marketing background and really started looking at the one thing I did is I looked at kick click track and looked at analytics, not only on click track, but I also looked at the analytics behind the uh, bitly links that you can get from the short link that, that Kickstarter gives you. And just really studied like-minded projects, projects that are similar in size, projects that are from, you know, new companies like ourselves that have been successful. And I tried to, you know, look at their analytics, see where their traffic was coming from. And then I basically created a marketing plan that I started uh, in back in July. And that's, you know, our Facebook group, we get about 30 likes a day, all based on just some very cheap marketing, you know, social media marketing that we've been doing. So we're, you know, in a short time, we're up to 1600 plus people nice. um, that we've been engaging with. And uh, you got to start early and plan. Now, if all this planning, you know, works, I'll be able to say that with even more confidence. But I just can't imagine you not being able to plan this, not being able to just you have to jump in and start planning very early. Yeah, and that that's something that we've heard off and on from a lot of different people that have uh, jumped on Kickstarter or have been kick on Kickstarter before. So you're you're not alone there. <laughs> uh that's that's solid advice that we've heard over and over again and and there you go. Even even on the video game side, planning is key. Planning and research. And I like what you threw in there as well. It's uh you know, 
there on the tabletop side, especially the, or I don't know, especially because I don't know the video game community, video game development community as well, obviously, but the tabletop community are very welcoming and very open. Uh, at least a lot of the ones, a lot of the people that I deal with are very open with what they do and how they've done it and, and what it costs them and all that good stuff. So there is no excuse. Uh, not to look at, 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 uh, these other projects and do that research and look at those numbers and, and even ask questions because they're yeah. going to answer them for you. Uh, and if you're not sure who to talk to, uh, shoot me an email and I'll, uh, I'll let you know a couple people that I know are good people that are always willing to share. But yeah, research, research, research. It's great advice. You know what? One more time, Aaron, before we get out of here. Why don't you give me your, your high level overview pitch for uh for Ambrav X for everybody? Um high level is Ambrav X is a story driven cross platform science fiction RPG uh set in the award winning universe of Syme Gen. September third through where where are you looking to uh, end? We are starting our Kickstarter on September third and ending on October fourth. October fourth. All right. There you go. Uh, so be on the lookout for that again. Ambrov, A-M-B-R-O-V space X. Ambrov X. That's where you're going to find it on Kickstarter once it launches next week. Aaron, this has been awesome. Thank you for joining me. Thank you, Jeff. I so appreciate it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, thanks for, uh, thanks for being the first guy out of the gate that's not talking to us about a tabletop game. That's, that's kind of a big deal, I think, around here. <laughs> well, thank you for welcoming me. That's, it's so awesome. I really appreciate it. All right. Uh, there you go, people. Again, like I said, uh, Sarah and I will be back next week. And I do have more interviews lined up uh, coming up. And, yes, uh, a lot of them are tabletop. But you never know when I'm going to sneak in another awesome interview like this. So thanks for joining us. 